0: Hey, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. The name of the show is Across the Pond. We're on every week at this time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and we call it Across the Pond because we're recording over here in the United States on the East Coast, right outside of Philadelphia, the city of love. And we're, <laughs> we record from uh, Cabrini University, which is across the street from Eastern University. It's a wonderful a testament of the unity of the church, a Catholic school across from a evangelical school, and we have a lot of really great guests. You're going to hear from one today, but we want you to know that as you join us on this show, that we are talking about red letter Christianity, and the old Bibles often in the Gospels when Jesus speaks, the the words of Jesus are highlighted in red, and. We think the whole Bible is important, but at the end of the day, uh, God is who we see in Jesus. And Jesus says some things that are a radical critique to the world that we live in, a world with so much violence and materialism and racism. And so we read the words of Jesus and we say, what if he really meant this stuff? What would the world look like if, if we lived as if Jesus meant the things he said? Uh, so thanks for joining us, Tony. Over here, we've been doing a series of, of folks that are have been connected to your ministry uh, for decades, and folks that are doing pretty great stuff around the world. So we got one of those. We've guests
1: got uh, on the phone today, uh, uh, Diane Taken's. Uh, she is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, I uh, coming out of Calvin College, she came to work in a very, very difficult place, Camden, New Jersey, one of the worst cities in America. I think Time Magazine puts it in the top, I guess it would be the bottom three cities of America. And she worked there for several years, and then she started a ministry of her own in Buffalo, New York, which is right on the edge of Lake Erie and has the worst weather in the world. (laughs) And uh, there she <laughs> suffers for Jesus and, uh, and does the work of the kingdom. Uh, welcome to the show, Diane.
2: Hi, thank you. Thank you very much, Tony and, and Shane. Thank you.
1: Now, uh, here's the story. Uh, they don't know you, and they don't know uh, what you're doing. So let's start off with you. Uh, you came out of a Christian Reformed church here in the United States and uh, went to Calvin College. Take us from there.
2: Sure. So it was October of 1987, and um, they moved chapel from the the regular um, chapel at um, Calvin College to the gymnasium because a guy named Tony Campolo was coming. And um, I was um, able to make my way over there and sat in the bleachers. And, um, Tony, I still remember the stories you told to um, give the example of what back then was still red-letter Christian living. And those stories gripped me. They still grip me. And um, my response to you was an expansive, I will follow this guy anywhere. And um, I did what you told me to do. I, I, I borrowed a pencil. I found a box, an empty box of popcorn, a popcorn box on the floor of the bleachers ripped off a piece of paper, put my name and phone number there, and went up and gave it to you, watched you put it in your jacket pocket and said, walked away and said to myself, I don't think I'll ever hear from him again. And here I am, 52, 31 years later, and um, I've clearly heard from you again. So that summer, um, I gave up two uh, uh, jobs. I was putting myself through college as a first-generation college-goer, and um, came to what I thought was going to be Philadelphia. And when I got there, I was told I was um, in Camden, New Jersey, and I literally said, where is that? And I was taken across the Delaware and um, down Westfield Avenue. And uh, what I saw at that golden hour, probably around 7, 730 at night, was um, something I couldn't believe. I saw poverty that I would have only expected in the third world country. And um, what I said to myself was what I say to myself today, which is, how is it I didn't know about this? Christian schools my whole life, church twice a Sunday, Wednesday nights in a Christian college, and I didn't know about something that is all over Scripture. And um, cut my teeth on urban ministry and how to do it, how to do it well, under the um, direction of Bruce Maine. I was there for parts of four years, and then as life would have it, I, I took what I learned up here to Buffalo and um, started what is now Peace of the City, and we're in our twenty-seventh year here.
0: Wow! And for folks listening in too, we've had uh, Bruce on the show um, too. And if if you end up uh, looking for a internship or uh, an opportunity to serve for a summer uh, urban promise in Camden and it's in many other places too, but it's an incredible place to be. It's right across the river from us. So we're always, uh, cross pollinating, you know, across the river, Diane, we've got a community in Camden as well. And, uh, have all kinds of gardens going over there and murals and the same stuff we got going in Philly. So it's, uh, it's beautiful. So you, that's kind of where you, you, uh, you started and is what you're doing now. Um, Similar to the work in Camden, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So it is similar but also different. And um, we, our four focus areas are literacy, the arts, advocacy, and transformation. And so um, the programs that we run here need to um, be an expressive and expansive place for those things to happen. So with arts, we have um, uh, Shakespeare comes to 716. That's our area code. We do a full production of Shakespeare. And we do, we write our own ordinary resurrections, which are the true stories of the young people who come through here. We believe that if you yeah. can own your story, no one else can tell you who they think you are. And that is soul building at its core. Um, I found out about 14, 15 years ago that. The number one indicator for the need for future prison cell space was the current reading score of fourth and fifth grade black boys. Yeah, And we stopped the presses and stopped everything at Peace of the City until we addressed literacy at every level. So our Literacy for All program is foundational um, for what happens here. Um, and then the advocacy work is we, um, we go into the schools, into the courts, into the homes, into the hospitals, any place our kids go, we go with them to make sure that they are being treated um, fairly and properly and with the love and respect that they deserve. And um, we also, um, our education programs, right, are, are classic in helping with homework. We also do SAT prep, college prep. Um, we are Establishing our own, what used to be called the GED program mm-hmm. here at um, Peace of the City. It's
0: now renamed here in the United States. Um, and then the other piece we do it, is. It, tell we tell, three tell
1: small, our audience. Tell our small, small
0: business. Maybe uh, say, yeah. say the, about the renaming of that.
1: Yeah. What is that program? The people over in the United Kingdom who hear this story. Yes. I mean, you, so, people in the United States know what you mean. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll explain GED that
2: program is a way to complete your high school education, not in a traditional um, public school setting. Um, and so that's been renamed to task.
1: Yeah. And because you would have to say that about about half of the people uh, in your program uh, did not complete high school. And so this is a way for them to get their education.
2: Correct. The The um, dropout rate for African-American males here in Buffalo hovers around 70 percent. Whoa. Which Whoa. Is stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So um, we, we we believe in what I know you, Shane, and Tony also believe in. Of course, love is overt and everywhere, um, but it's also covert. And so in that sense, it is we, we try to create, we have created like an underground network of So, okay, maybe we can't change the entire Buffalo Public School system, but we can create alternatives that um, offer incredible opportunities to our young people before what I call they slip into just oblivion, Mm -hmm. which is often what happens with our our black and brown skinned young men when they hit 16, 17, 18, we we, we just begin to lose them. Um, And of course, we can go right into the conversation uh, uh not for this show of uh, where we often find them is disproportionately in our prison system. So there's a direct correlation from liter- to from literacy to um our young people who are in prison. 85% of our of the juveniles who interface with our criminal justice system are functionally illiterate. 85%. Could you- so we we are coming after that hard and have been for years.
1: Well, I know what you're doing. I wanted like to know how you're doing it. Uh, how do you work yeah. with these kids? Do you run uh, programs after school? Do you pro programs in the mm-hmm. evening? Uh, what kind of programs do you run?
2: Right. So, um, you know, true to the model that I learned in in Camden, Tony, is we're an a- we have been an after school program. Um, we're open anytime after one o'clock because sometimes kids are done midday until six and then we collaborate with two other neighborhood organizations to offer evening um, programs as well so where we're growing into is offering programs during the day for those who've dropped out and um, or being diverted from the prison population to piece of the city we're pioneering programs for um, that piece Uh, it's a new legislation in New York State Um, so we we will soon Lord willing be open um, we could be open 12 hours a day, which is beautiful. When we're open 12 hours a day, five to six days a week, then I feel like I can begin thinking about leaving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh,
0: You know, we just had our graduations uh, here, and I got to go to one of a young man I've known pretty much since he was born. And uh, uh, it's quite a celebration. You know, there's screaming and yelling and um, all kinds of uh, cars blasting their horns. It's a, it's a, when you have almost half the kids, or as you said, in some cases, the demographics, more than half the kids dropping out by the end of high school, um, it ends up uh, being a little different than the celebration uh, that I, of the town I grew up in uh, down in Tennessee. Right. But, you know, I, it, all these things really intersect because I went to one of these graduations, and the, the principal or the dean said, uh, w- very uh, celebratory, he said, we have more kids going to the military this year than are going into college and people cheered. But my heart really sunk because what we also see um, is not only are kids filling the prisons, this kind of school to prison pipeline, but there's also um, what young one young man said, we don't have the, the draft, the military draft in America, but we have a financial draft. There's an economic draft that if you don't uh, know how to go to college, the military sometimes can feel like the only option. And I don't know if you see that in Buffalo, but that's something there's, even going back to Vietnam, the memorial mm-hmm. for the high school with the most kids killed in the Vietnam War is right around the corner from us, and it's you know, not a coincidence that it's an almost entirely you know African-American economically struggling neighborhood.
2: Right, right. Uh, we certainly do see that even the most well-intended um, graduates of um, Buffalo Public Schools who are, have been grown-up or, or been a part of piece of the City still struggle with the most basic understanding of how to go to college. One young man, Jaden, two weeks ago, I checked in with him. He, he got into Niagara um, University up in by Niagara Falls, and he never declared. He never confirmed that he was going to go there, and he didn't know that he was supposed to. Yeah. So something that simple, right? So simple. So, of course, I'm all over it. Um, calling admissions and making sure it happens. But um, we see that. We also believe that training the next generation um, of our workforce is critical yeah. because if you can work hard and work well, you can um, begin over and over again as many times as you need to until you're at that place of living the meaningful life you always wanted. So that's another huge component of Peace of the City. And um, it's it's one that excites me personally because it was true for me getting my first job at pizza hut at 15. And I still remember the exact amount of that first paycheck. I thought I was the richest woman in the world. Yeah. And it was a hundred, it was 138 bucks.
0: Well, yeah. we, we should pause just a second to say, first of all, this is a, a great conversation with Diane Takens from, uh, who's been a part of this wonderful work piece of the city has some, uh, in Buffalo, New York, and has a lot of roots with Tony. We've been profiling some guests that Tony has known for a long time. And, um, but it's very familiar to the work in our neighborhood too. We have three uh, percent of our neighborhood that has a post high school degree. 3%. Three percent. Wow. So um, wow. Uh, That 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 means associate, you know, bachelor's, anything. And so um you know college may not be for everybody, but it sure is limiting um to your future and our circumstances really can. Uh, uh, put some serious roadblocks into the possibilities of our future. And I I noticed, as you said about your work, that you, you you are doing after school programs, but you're also doing some comprehensive work around advocacy and transformation. So tell us a little bit about what that looks like, challenging some of those systemic obstacles and economic challenges on the on the macro level.
2: Right. So it's been, you know, we learn as we go. We learn as we grow. And um, our ability to impact um, systemic injustice and is um, limited uh, at face value, but it's profound when we, when we realize the way that that's changed is by the transformation of human beings. Mm. So as these young people um, understand their own worth in Christ, understand their own beauty as a child of God, regardless of their circumstances— um, they join what i what I would call and, and consider you two a part of right this this covert underground network, red letter Christians, whatever you want to call it, where we say it 's what Jesus says or um, or bust i 'm mm. believing it with my whole heart or close the doors and so these young people then become their own advocates in a system that is so overwhelming um, as far as the ability to to change it and um, and that's our belief of the best way to change the system is to give the young people who are so hungry for more what they need and watch what they will do within that system, including, um, you know, um, generational poverty and generational drug use and unemployment that they can go in, get what they need from Pizza City and go back to that family system and um, be the iconoclasts there, the ones who lead out, the ones who say, no longer, I'm not doing this anymore. And these are the stories that show up in our our ordinary resurrection monologues, which we perform several times a year around the city. Mm. Um, And people find out that these young people are buffalo gold, that's that's what we call them. So do we address blatant um, um, injustices within, uh, systemically, at, at through Peace of the City? Absolutely. But our big belief is, which I believe is modeled by Christ, is it's, it's you confront what's in front of you, but the real work is in creating um, that gathering of people who will link arms and say, I'm undeterred. And at the end of the hardest day, right, love wins the day. And that is what we are graduating from Peace of the City into what we've now called, our program is called Peace for Life. We have um, half of our, those who work at Peace of the City now are those who've grown up at Peace of the City, and it is my goal before I leave that every position here at Peace of the City is filled by someone who went to Peace of the City or has grown up in this neighborhood. Then I feel like my work is done.
1: Mm. Uh, let me uh, say this. Uh, Diane Takens, who is being interviewed today, Uh, On this show, uh, has done uh, a long standing work in Buffalo, New York, one of the more difficult cities in our country. And uh, your inner city ministry sounds like a lot of other ministries, but it's not. You do something during the summer that boggles my mind, Mm -hmm. considering that you're drawing kids from very impoverished backgrounds, uh, mostly Mm -hmm. African American and Hispanic, uh, and Mm -hmm. yet you got them doing. Shakespeare and you put on this big put big show and I I believe you do it in a park do you not open air
2: Right so uh, as as our um, friends and family in um Great Britain would know right that's where how Shakespeare began it was um it was very uh public it was in the streets it was for whoever stopped to listen and um we were um profoundly impacted by a funeral Um, for a young African-American woman um, about 14 years ago who um, hung herself in the um, detention center downtown. Um, The funeral for her that I attended, her father, who was a pastor, quoted Hamlet, to be or not to be, Mm. deliver to die. And um, I walked out of there that day with Megan, who was our theater director, and I said, we must do Shakespeare. And I knew that there would be um, critics, right? Why are you Why are you doing Shakespeare when you're an inner city program? But I went back to what something my grandfather taught me, who was a leader in the Dutch Underground during World War II. He said, "Diane, all truth is God's truth," hmm. and we we moved forward with that. And there was truth in the genius of his work. And so, yes, we are in our 11th season of a full production of Shakespeare. Five to six hundred people come to see our productions. And uh, we just cast uh, Midsummer Night's Dream last week, and we're having our first read-through, full cast read-through, this afternoon. And last year, I don't know about this year, 14 different ethnicities comprised our our cast and crew of 40 to 50 young people from around the entire city. And um, it has been remarkable. And, um, yes, so what some people have said to me, what does Shakespeare have to do with a poor inner-city kid? and or with the bible right so these are fair questions and i go back to um if it is a way to access the souls with truth to these young people let's let's see where it takes us and um with the young ladies i say it to them every year the way that you feel right now when you are saying shakespeare on this stage in front of a lot of people who don't look like you hundreds of people we do three shows Um, The way you feel right now, if you don't feel that way with the guy that you're seeing, run as fast as you can. And it creates a reference point of dignity and self-respect that surpasses and transcends circumstances that tell them they're not worth that feeling. And with our young men, I brought in a pastor who was the um, chaplain at Attica State Prison. I bring him in as often as I can. And for 25 years he was there, and I asked him, I said, Reverend Carter, I said, tell these young men what's, how many of the young men at Attica were there because of he said, she said. So which play is based on he said, she said? Now, I bet you everybody over in London and in England are saying it right now. Okay? So that's much ado about nothing. The entire play is about what happens around he said, she said. Much to do about nothing, he said. Seventy to seventy-five percent of the inmates at Attica are there because of he said she said. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Shakespeare becomes this radical way to reach our kids. And um, every year, I just I watch and I go, here we go again. And there's it's an old Shakespeare.
1: Journey. There's a Shakespeare play, uh, Othello, uh, that deals with race, uh, yep. uh, in, uh, racial marriage across racial lines. A black man, yep. a white woman. And the jealousies, the angers, the upsets that that creates, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, Shakespeare, even though he lived a couple of hundred years ago, uh, 300 years ago, I mean, he's as relevant as the issues that we're facing in today's world. Um, Let me ask you two questions. Uh, Do you take uh, summer volunteers like Camden uh, Urban Promise Program does?
2: We do. Yes, we we are able to we we can't take quite as many, but we do do that and our focus is theater. Although we run all of our programs, our main focus is theater. We also do like um little Shakespeare for our younger kids. It's a blast. Like I can't believe that I get to do this as a part of my work. So yes, we do.
1: Uh-huh. Well, there you go.
0: I don't know if you've if you've heard of uh, the Yes and camps and the programs down here in Philly that we've had going on, but a lot of what you're saying is a uh, the total heartbeat of, of that it's folks that, uh, I went to Eastern with, and then we started the simple way. And now they do, they call it collaborative arts education. So it's exactly what you're talking about. They create together and they, they, um, they actually write the shows that they do, but a lot of them have these same themes. Like one of my favorites was, uh, there was a, uh, a king that be, was being crushed by his own crown. <laughs> and so they, they, were, they sang this song, uh, down with the crown, down with the crown, but we need to save the king, right? It was beautiful. So, yeah. But, you know, it's that same idea of, of art and creativity. And uh, if you haven't heard of them, Deanne, uh, Diane, you, you should uh, check that out.
1: Do you have a website? I will. Do you have a website?
0: Yes, you bet. It's
2: www.peaceofthecity.org. And um we would you know, I will I would love to talk to anybody who is inspired or has questions from um this interview and you guys have my contact information. Um but yeah, we're um we continue to each day live to fight another day. It's um it's remarkable and each day um gives us just what we need to go into the next day.
1: I can't believe it, yeah. but uh, Diane, we're running out of time. And we're going to have to wrap up the program, but let me just say uh, you've been a wonderful guest, and I'm sure the listeners around the world who will be listening to this show are saying, this woman is absolutely incredible. I've known her for years, and I can't think of anybody that I admire as much as I admire Diane Takens and her raising a family in austere conditions in a very worn-out, poor city in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank mm-hmm. you for doing that for Jesus, for the kingdom, and for the kids in uh, in Buffalo. And here are inner-city kids living in really severe conditions who are dreaming mm-hmm. dreams uh, about going yeah. on to a university, uh, developing yep. dreams about their potentialities that never would have happened had not Christ entered Diane's life and motivated mm-hmm. her to bring that vision to people in desperate situations. Uh, This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne thanking you for listening. Uh, We promote Red Letter Christianity. Go to our website, redletterchristians.org. Sign on and say, I want to be a Red Letter Christian. That means I want to do the things that Jesus told us to do if we want to be his disciples. Uh, So thanks for listening, and you be sure to come back next week. Thank you for being part of our show. God bless you, and God bless Diane (laughs) Takens.
2: Thank you. Love you guys. You too. Thanks.